And Lord, as we look at an important subject, may we not do your word disservice by trying to read into it. We pray that it will read into us. We pray that your word will speak to us in a way that we walk away from here challenged and provoked and fully realising that your word is alive. That your word is not dead words on a page. That your word is a living, breathing revelation that we have in words that we can understand but it is truly alive that you are at work even through it even now to declare what you have done, to declare what you are doing and to declare what you will do. Lord, we pray by Holy Spirit, may your word come alive in our hearts even just this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now then, you've just been talking amongst yourselves and you might have noticed while you're talking amongst yourselves that you're all different. It's probably just as well, really. Be a bit weird if we were all clones. Some of us have brown hair. Some of us have no hair. Yeah, you beat me to it. All right. Who are you thinking of? Some of us like heavy metal. Some of us even like bluegrass. Yeah, he's kept his head bowed. Look, some of us, <laughs> some of us like Brussels sprouts. Put your hand up if you like Brussels sprouts. I love them. Oh. See, the stereotype is not true. Some of us hate them. Who really doesn't like them? There's a few. I've got to work on my daughter. One day she'll like them. Some of us vote Labour. Don't put your hands up. Some of us vote Labour. Some of us vote Conservative. Some of us may not vote at all. Some of us have only lived in Herne Bay. Some of us were born abroad. We are all different, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different attitudes, sometimes different values, different perspectives different outlooks, different expectations. But one thing we do all have in common, in case you haven't noticed, is that we're all human. Oh yeah, who said oh yeah? <laughs> You're going to learn a lot today, Joe, I can tell you. All of us are human. But have we ever really considered, what is it to be human? What does that mean? What does that mean? That's not always an easy answer, easy question to answer. A dictionary definition of what is to be human is a moving, communicating something that isn't God, animal or machine. This is how a dictionary would define what it is to be human. A human is a moving, communicating something that isn't God, animal or, mach or machine. I get that. I understand that but I still think something's missing. It feels a bit flat. It feels a bit empty. I don't think that's really explaining the full meaning of what is it to be human, is it? It's true, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? I'd like to think so. If you ask around, ask down the high street, ask your neighbours, ask your friends, ask your family, there'll be lots of answers. What is it to be human? People have come up with all sorts. For example, some people will say we're an elevated species. We are the most elevated species on the planet. For example, we walk upright. We have combined attributes of walking upright. We have large whites in our eyes. Find another animal with large whites in their eyes. Interesting. We have opposable thumbs. Some do, but not many do. We do. We also have, um, we use tools and we have advanced language systems and combined, they in some way help explain what it means to be human. But that's not the full picture. That's just biological advancement. But that's not the full picture, is it? In the Jungle Book, King Louis wants to be like Mowgli. Ubi-doo, I want to be like you. 
And what does he think is the secret to being like Mowgli? Man's red fire. Give me the power of man's red flower so I can be like you. Just because he's an orangutan with fire doesn't make him human. He's still missing the point. It's not the stuff we have. That's just a result of who we are. It doesn't explain, still, who we are. Some people will say it's because we have a conscious awareness of our existence. Maybe. But then in 2012, a bunch of eminent neuroscientists signed a declaration to say that animals also have a conscious awareness of their existence. I'll leave it to the experts. I'll take their word for it. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But does that really sum up what it is to be human? It's still missing something. Some people would say we're the only ones to share stories across generations. That's true. But again, I still don't think that really sums up what is it to be human. It's just an aspect. To answer the question needs a lot more. I brought my extension plans with me today. Who's been in my house? Who's in my kitchen? You see, most of you have probably seen our extension. These are the plans. They've been well used, covered in mud and cement. Took us a year and we got there in the end. Our architect, Roger, he designed these very well, very nicely. And we used them and he helped blow up little parts of them to show us how to put bits together because we weren't builders and it was blind leading the blind. But we got there in the end. But he designed plans for the kitchen. We didn't just get a bunch of bricks and put them on top of each other and see what happens and hopefully fit a kitchen inside. We spent a long time discussing what we wanted in it, a long time discussing what it was going to look like, about the aesthetics and the functionality of it. And together with our architect, we came up with some plans. It was designed before we even started digging a hole. There was a design and there was intention in what we wanted our kitchen to be. And what I want to look at this morning is to discover that the Bible tells us that we are designed. And we're designed with a very specific intent in place. See, the Bible says we didn't just happen. We're not just some accident. And we're not merely the result of a very long process. And as it advances and as it gets more complicated, we are the elevated ones. The Bible says we are far, far more than something like that. Do you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1? Let's go right back to the beginning and see what happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to race through chapter 1. He says, verse 3, let there be light. Verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. He starts adding to it, doesn't he? He starts adding the details. Now he's drawn the canvas. Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. He could have stopped there. We'd have a very beautiful planet in the middle of a very beautiful universe, amazing and majestic to look at and enjoy, couldn't he? But he doesn't stop there. Because then verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them, created him, male and female. He created them. And then skip to chapter 2. Mentioned again quite how he did that. Verse 7 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the word nephesh there. The breath of life. And the man became a living creature. But then he doesn't stop there. In verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, he sings this song. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And he is still perfect. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God has just created the pinnacle of his creation. See, there's a Christian theologian called G.K. Chesterton. He wrote the Father Brown Mysteries, if you remember them. And he says this. He says, man is not merely an evolution, but rather a revolution. I love that. God suddenly decided to do something else other than more animals. He didn't suddenly decide. He had it planned. But he didn't just carry on the same process. Something else happened. You see, scientists... At large, not all scientists, there are many creationist societies, but they keep quiet because they won't get any funding. <laughs> There's bullying going on. But there are many, many scientists out there who are evolutionists and they would declare that we have common ancestors with other animals on this planet because we share so much DNA. It's true that we share 95 to 99% of DNA with chimps. That is a scientific genetic DNA fact. That's okay. But we also share 90% of DNA with cats. And we share 80% of DNA with dogs. And we share 50% of DNA with bananas. <laughs> you are half banana. <laughs> I would suggest that is not indicating common ancestors. I would suggest that was indicating a common designer those are the fingerprints of God using ingredients to create his wonderful universe, including us. It's his building blocks. We shouldn't be frightened of those facts. We just believe it points to something, to someone else. God was very intentional. But we need to understand our design is very different to other designs that we see on this earth. Look at Genesis 1 again. Notice there was something different. Genesis 1, we're going to go through that list again. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. That's what he says, yeah? And what happens? There was light. He speaks, it happens. Okay? So we could carry on following the same process, which he seems to do. Verse 6, let there be an expanse. And there was. Verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it did. Let there, let there. 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. 
Did it happen? It does. Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And there is. 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. He could have carried on using the same pattern and the same way of speaking things into being there, couldn't he? But he doesn't. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Something else happened. There is a clear, distinct moment in creation where the normal process of creation stops and something brand new happens. When he comes to make man, he could have just said, let there be man. He's already done that with the animals and the birds and the fish. Let there be fish, boom. Let there be birds, boom. Let there be animals, living creatures, boom. Let there be man, boom. He doesn't. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Something brand new has just happened. There is something very particular to humanity in how God then deals with humanity. What does he then tell man to do? Name the animals. Name all the other living creatures. He brings them before them. Adam gives them names. Not Bob and Brenda. Lion and sheep. He gives them names. All of a sudden, man is put on a pinnacle already. You get to name all the rest. Straight away, he's been treated differently because he's been intended differently and he's been created differently. Something else is going on here. Man is the only creature on this planet, according to the Bible, that gets called to be called, gets allowed to be called children of God. No other creature does. Not even angels are made in his, in his likeness. They're just ministering spirits. Not even angels are made in his image, and we're, we're in awe of them. Do you actually realize they're in awe of you? They're fascinated by us. They're fascinated by salvation. You can see that in the New Testament. We are the only ones who, through faith in Jesus Christ, get to be called children of God. No other creature does. John chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, children of God. And then even, to reiterate the point, in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood has destroyed all humanity on earth because God's just been grieving over the state of evil on this planet, but he rescues one family to start again with, Noah and his family in the ark. When the flood is dissipated, what does God say to Noah in Genesis chapter 9? He says, every moving creature is up for food. Every moving creature is up for grabs. You can eat it. But two verses later, he says, but don't kill another human being. We are different. We are not just an animal. And as many scientists and many classrooms today will say we're just another animal, we are not. We are something else entirely. Yes, we share the breath of life with them. That word nephesh I mentioned earlier when God breathed into the man's nostrils. Do we have a soul? Do animals have souls? Depends what you mean by the word soul. The word soul is the word nephesh and sometimes ruach in the Old Testament. Nephesh is used over 750 times, talking about a soul and life, but it's also used of animals. And same with Ruach as well. It's referring to the breath of life. What we do share with animal kind is the breath of life. We do share that. But that's where it stops. We are something else entirely. We get to name them. We get to be called children of God. We get to eat them, but don't kill each other. There's something very specific and glorious and amazing and awesome about humans. We're set apart. We're in a class of our own. And then we find out the intention behind it all in the first place 
Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 6. This is the Lord says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 43, verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, there's the intent, whom I formed and made. There is an intentional design to humanity that is more than just creaturehood, that is more than just being an elevated species, that is more than just being the clever clogs on this planet. We are something else made for his glory, formed and made, called by his name. See, if we are just matter, and some people in the world believe that's all we are, they don't believe in a spiritual realm, don't believe in God, believe we just happened, therefore we are just walking matter. Therefore, we are just big bunches of atoms. So why do we still refer to each other as who and not what? Why do we refer to each other as people with names and we care and have compassion for each other when we're just a bunch of atoms rather than call each other it? See, even when people suppress the truth of the reality of humanity, a recognition of the spiritual is still unconscious. A recognition of the spiritual is still there. See, everyone now has value. Now we realise, from the highest to the lowest, everyone around us is an image bearer of God. Bearing the likeness of the Trinity, perfect, eternal, loving, all singing, all dancing, community mad about each other, want to share that glory, share that love, share that joy. We're created to be wrapped up into that. Suddenly you realise that your neighbour that you don't like very much is an image bearer. You're right. <laughs> Suddenly that person you might think is a bit of a waste of space. In some ways I get what you're saying, but they are also an image bearer. It's quite provocative for us when we realise what the Bible says about all of us. But it also says to you, if you don't feel very, very kind about yourself, what you've done, just how you feel about yourself sometimes, you are an image bearer. You were created for his glory, called by his name, to be called a child of God. No matter how you feel about us, yourself, it doesn't change a fact. If I feel down about myself and think I'm rubbish, but Jenny still loves me, how I feel about me doesn't change what she thinks of me. How you feel about yourself doesn't change what God thinks of you. And you bear his image, you bear his likeness, you reflect some of him. It gives us value, gives us dignity to be made in the image of God. Now when it comes to design, we're going to be exploring this over the next few weeks. We've got five more Sundays coming up where we're going to look at different aspects of the design. We're going to look about what it means to be known by God and to get to know him. We're going to look at what it means to be responsible. We are responsible creatures now. The responsibility for looking after this planet and each other is not down to dogs and cats and fish, it's down to us. There's a responsibility. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at what it means to be dependent creatures. Sometimes we think we're the big all-singing, all-dancing I am. We're not. We are very dependent. We're going to look at that as well. We're also going to look at our consciences. We're going to look at morals. 
going to look at expectations of us and look at where true freedom lies. We're also going to look about what it means to be part of a story. We're going to look at more than life is more than just bumbling along and God lets it happen and one day he'll, he'll change his mind. He has a story in place. We're going to look at that as well. We're going to look at the value of what it means to be humans. But just this morning, just for the next few minutes, I want to look at this design again, just from the broader view, and look at what's gone wrong. Because in the 80s, the Human League sung, I'm only human, born to make mistakes. It's used as an excuse, it's used as a reason why we fail. Sorry I slipped up, I'm only human. Don't we? Please don't place too much trust in me because I'm only human, I'll only let you down. We use that. In some ways it's true. Why is that? If we are these, this, the pinnacle of creaturehood, if we are these amazing creatures set apart, brand new something that God has put on this planet for his glory, that sounds amazing. I'd love to see more of those creatures walking around. Somehow I don't. Love you, but... We're not like that, are we? Something's gone wrong, hasn't it? Something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong? Well, the Bible quite clearly states that it was brilliant and it was perfect and humanity was amazing. Adam and Eve, just perfect human beings. But there was a catastrophic event where this perfect design got infected by imperfect desires. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. This is a perfect planet with perfect mankind. Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In order to ensure that we are free to bless him, we are free to bring him glory, he's not a dictator and we are constrained by his wishes and we have no option, he gives us a choice. A choice to continue doing what he wants. So what does mankind do? I think we know better. <laughs> We're good at that, aren't we? So chapter 3, Now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. This is the devil, he's a fallen angel comes in the form of a serpent. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Just puts that little bit of doubt in your head. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She even repeats back to him what God actually said. She knows fully what the choice before her is. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die bit like car from Jungle Book, isn't it? You won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So who does she listen to? Does she listen to God? Does she listen to the serpent? Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, suddenly her desires now are for something else. Her desires are not for bringing glory to God, her desires are for herself. Her desires are that she wants to be wise. She wants what looks nice. So she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And suddenly they're ashamed. 
There is a catastrophic event when what was perfect is no longer perfect. If you take something that is perfect, something unmarred, one of those beautiful pictures out there that you're going to donate for later, one of those, if you smothered it in black paint, you can't undo that. What was perfect is now not perfect. It's exactly what's happened here. It's a catastrophic event where perfect design has been infected by imperfect desires. And we've been in a battle with our desires ever since. We get a choice. Every minute of every hour of every day, design or desires. You see, my kitchen was designed to be a kitchen. That makes sense, doesn't it? We had a plan, we came up with a plan, and we built according to the plan. Perfect design. If I had suddenly decided better that I'd rather use it as a bedroom, and I got a pillow and a quilt and used the worktop as a bed, and I opened up the oven and used it as a bedside table, and I turned off the fridge, fridge freezer, and used it as a chest of drawers, it's not what it's designed for. It ain't going to function very well. It won't be very comfy, but somehow I seem to know better. It's not fulfilling its design. It's fulfilling my imperfect desires for what I want from it. Because you see, we get three options. We can try and distort our design. Now, what, what my design is actually is for X, Y, and Z. To feed this appetite, to go here and to do that, to do things for myself. Not seek God's glory, do, do what I want. You can distort in your head, distort what your design is. You can even deny the design. You can say, there is no designer. I have no designer. It just happens. So I can do what I want with this bunch of walking atoms. Can do. Or we can discover our design once again. You can distort, design, uh, deny, or discover once again our design. You see, if I'm hungry, I can feed myself with McDonald's and KFC and Domino's every mealtime, Every day. It's all right once in a while. But that won't be a healthy lifestyle. And that won't be living up to my design. And that won't feed my body with all the nutrients and the goodness it needs. Imagine all that salt and fat. Even I might put some weight on. <laughs> but that's not living up to my design, is it? I could deny I have a design and believe I could drink that bottle of cyanide. That doesn't go against my design. I don't have a design, I'll be fine. I can drink that, it won't hurt me. That's just foolish. Or I could discover my design and eat a healthy, healthy diet that lives up to my design rather than goes against it or grates against it. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, we can feed our desires for rest. We have different desires, we have different hungers. It's not just for food. We have a hunger for rest, a need for rest. We desire to fulfil it. We can desire to fulfil it with too much sleep. We can sleep for 20 hours a day. Or we could not give ourselves enough sleep and try and burn the candle at both ends. That's not living up to our design either. Or we could have the right amount of rest, the right amount of work and the right amount of play. We can allow our imperfect desires to overwhelm our design or we can try and live up to our design. The same with a thirst for knowledge. You can feed that with good stuff or bad stuff. Our hunger for community. We can deny it. Some people shut themselves away and don't have community. That's not living up to their design. Or we can overfill it and feed it with the wrong kind of community. Or we can live up to our design with the right kind of good community that is healthy for us. Our hunger for sex, we can feed with good sex in the right place or we can choose to feed it somewhere else. 
Sexual desire is not wrong. It's God-given. It's just how we feed it that's the issue. Does that make sense? Same with our hunger for self-worth. We can do it to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or actually just fulfilling our design his way and bringing him glory. Actually, you find value in that because you're giving him glory, not bringing glory to yourself. We can feed it in the wrong way. Distorting, denying or discovering our design. And it will always be a never-ending battle. Who's found it easy? No hands have gone up. It'll always be a never-ending battle, desire versus design. Always has been, always will be, especially as a Christian. Suddenly you wake up to, there's more to life than this, and I'm finding it even harder to live up to that. It's hard. It's because there's an infection that has been in us ever since day dot, that we just read in Genesis chapter 3, has been with us through our blood, through the generations. There is a spiritual infection. Romans 5.12 explains what that infection is. It's called sin. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. All of us have sinned. And even in Psalm 51, David declares, In sin my mother conceived me. Even before he was born, he was a sinner. It's because the infection is in us. It's a spiritual corruption that goes against our design, feeds our desires. We try and fulfill our design in the wrong way. We have a choice to feed our desires or we have a choice to fulfill our design. But none of us found it easy. It's a battle. It's a slog, isn't it? None of us have got it right. None of us have got it sorted. How can we ensure then that we don't take the easy route and give in? Or how can we ensure it's not a legalistic, joyless trudge through life trying to live up to this perfection that we can never achieve? Sounds like we're on a loser for nothing, doesn't it? How can we ensure fulfilling our design is a matter of joy and freedom? To truly understand what is it to be human and to truly understand the answer to infection, we need to look at the only perfect human who ever walked this planet. Who is that? You know the answer. In the C.S. Lewis books, when he wrote the Narnia books, he was writing it to explain much of Christian theology. It's very helpful. It's not an allegory, but it's symbolic. And in there, it's a world of talking beasts, isn't it? Narnia is a world of talking beasts. You get the fawns and the talking, the, the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and all that. It's talking beasts. In this world of talking beasts, who is the king of the world of talking beasts? It's the king of the beasts. He's a lion. He comes in the form of a lion. He is the creator, Aslan. In other books, we see how he creates the world. He's the creator. And when he comes to them, he comes in the form of a lion. Why? Because he's the king of the beasts. It's a world of beasts. The king is represented by a lion. And the reason C.S. Lewis did that is because in our world of humanity, the king of humanity is the king of kings. It's Jesus, the perfect human. And yes, he was our perfect example. He was the ultimate example of what it means to fulfill your design perfectly he he was the ultimate in abiding with father he oh, the amount of times he retreated just to be with father he was the ultimate in being faithful in caring and supplying and serving and reconciling he fulfilled the design in a way none of us ever can 
He's the perfect example. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. If he was just the perfect example, it would make it harder for us to ever live up to. We'll never be like that, will we? It'd just make us feel worse about ourselves if it stopped there. There's your example. Go on then. <laughs> I don't think so. Thankfully, it didn't stop there. You see, an infection must die. It must be killed. And our infection, sin, is so virulent, if it dies, so do we. There is a judgment over it because it separates us from the perfect God. It's an infection that needs to die and its death will kill us. It's so systemic. And yet on the cross, the designer, Jesus Christ, Colossians 1, all things were made through him. He's the designer. The designer died on the cross representing the designed. God the designer, he fulfilled the design so he could stand in the gap. If he wasn't God, he couldn't represent God in that moment. If he wasn't man, he couldn't represent man in that moment. Yet he, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, was fully God, fully man. And in that moment, he could represent both God and man. He took our sins upon himself that he, the designer, might represent the designed, and he absorbed the cost. When we talk about redemption, when we talk about cost, we don't talk about the devil being given a payment for our sin or for our release. He got nothing. What it means is God absorbed the cost. And that's what Christ did on the cross. He absorbed our punishment. He absorbed our judgment. He absorbed Father turning his face away because of what he represented fully God, fully man, stood in our place, stood in the gap. And then he rose again to show that he was no man. He was God-man. He was the designer. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's our release. There's our freedom. Sin is all that is wrong with us. Righteousness is all that's right with God. And in that moment, when you place faith in Christ, based on that moment 2,000 years ago, there is a straight swap up. A straight swap for your sin, all that is wrong with you, for his righteousness, all that is right with him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? Suddenly we find that release, that moment of freedom, where we can never achieve perfection. He's done it for us, and he goes, you can have my righteousness, my right standing. My upstanding, you can have that. I dealt with your sin 2,000 years ago, you've now discovered. He's done it. And so in turning to him and saying, I am weak, I am broken, I'm ill with sin, I'm ill with destructive desires, but Lord, I look to you for cleansing, for the healing power of your cross and for the strength to live up to what you've designed me for. It's only in him we get that strength and that means that opportunity. Saying that to him, in that moment, you are saved. You are free forever. Your sin is dealt with. And you'll still face that battle. We still have old, ha old habits die hard. It's still hard to live up to our design, isn't it? Whether you've been a Christian for decades or not. Of course it is. Old habits die hard. It's still lurking behind you going, tap, 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 come on. Have a bit of fun. That tree looks good. Do you want to be wise? But true freedom 
I know the people in this room, whenever you've said no to sin and you've turned to face him, there is freedom in that moment. You feel it, you sense it. It's a battle, but you sense there is an absolute joy and a peace when you live for him and not for yourself, is there not? But it only comes after that battle. It's hard, but he gives us the strength of our Holy Spirit to do that. And that's when we see what happens to our design. Ephesians 4, last verse to look up. We were made in his likeness, yes? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So we as humanity now represent him in a certain way. We suddenly discover not only is our future redeemed and taken to the next level and secure and eternal, not only is our sin dealt with and we now have his righteousness, we see another release. Even our image is transformed. Ephesians 4, verse 23, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, you're now a new creation in him. To put on your new self, what? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Even your image is redeemed. Your image of him is no longer just us as humans representing him in certain ways and reflect a, an essence of what it means to be God. Even in being saved, even your image is transformed for true righteousness and holiness. Everything is sorted. And finally, we have opportunity to live up to the great design that the great designer has had for us all along. In the designer, we find something far, far better than feeding in the trough of wrong desires. We've all been there. Sometimes we all still do it. In him, we find home, we find rest, we find completion, we find healing. And then we realize that he's the one we're designed for. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, you are the designer. You created all things along with Father and Holy Spirit in that moment. You worked together to create this amazing universe, this wonderful planet we live on. The still being discovered creatures we see on the internet, we see footage of these things at the bottom of the sea and these insects and things we've never come across before. They're amazing. We're still discovering stuff on this planet. We're still discovering planets and galaxies and stars and black holes. What you have created is amazing, but then to discover that we're suddenly, we're the pinnacle of that, blows my mind. But then to discover that even though we can't fix what's gone wrong, you can and you have done, that we might live up to our design once more to bring you glory and to enjoy you forever. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you're willing to come down amongst the creatures you created to be amongst us, to get your hands dirty and then to take our place on that cross. Thank you so much. Lord, just in the next few weeks as we understand more of what it means to be designed, more of what that design looks like and what our, your intentions for us are, Lord, may you introduce to us new ways of living, open our eyes to a new world before us that we can live up to our design by your strength, your power and your grace that we might bring you glory, that others might come to know you and that they might bring you glory. May it not just stop in this room, but maybe even just this community around us be transformed as more and more people come to realise who they are and what they're made for. More importantly, who you are and why you made us. Jesus, we bring you all the glory and we declare you God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you very much. I have three spare copies of the preaching team. We all had a copy of this book each to read as we prepared. Julian's got his with him. Three spare copies. If you want one, come and get them before anyone else does. These are going free. Oh, and goes up. <laughs> Dive in there. One, two, three. And if you finished it, maybe pass it around with other people as well. Thank you very much. Coffee is served. Don't forget to have a look at the artwork. And don't forget to check the directory at the back for your contact details. That would be lovely.